So, um, oh, yep, I see a little red dot. So, uh, hello, hello, hello. Welcome, everyone. Uh, this is Bay Originals, and I'm your host, Leah McCabe. Uh, we're joined here today. We're actually, we're not in the studio. <laughs> well, we are in the studio. This is the, my living room, but uh, I'm joined by Victor Gobo. We're, um, we're on uh, Zoom right now, and um, uh, he's a friend of mine. He was a neighbor to my wife and my mother-in-law, and uh, we become good friends. He is a Bay Original, uh, born and raised here in the neighborhood. I think uh, born, I don't know. I certainly know raised. And um, he's a musician. He's a guitar maker. Uh, I've seen him perform live, and uh, we're going to talk a little about his music today. We're going to talk a little bit about um, guitars that he makes. And uh, some other just cool things that kind of come up in conversation. I'm really glad to have you to have you here on Zoom. How you doing? Good. Happy to be here. Good. Happy to be uh, virtually in your home and likewise. <laughs> we were just messing around with the audio. You know, you're um, you're pretty good with that stuff. I, I I have a MacBook Air that I'm that I'm using, and so I don't know what the audio is going to be like as this eventually plays on the podcast. And we'll try to upload this video to youtube is up well because i think it'd be cool to kind of to see you play um but so i don't know i don't know how this is going to sound we're going to try our best we usually do this like in one take so i mean uh, uh, from doing similar experiments playing live music on zoom and other uh, online platforms i mean it's uh, you just kind of say a hail mary and go (laughs) you just hope for the best which i was chatting with some other acts um and we were kind of you know uh, doing these has been kind of, it's been kind of frightening because it's a whole new platform and you can't hear yourself. I mean, that's one of the, the really kind of uh, difficult things about these platforms is that what you're hearing on your side and what the audience is going to hear when this airs isn't what I'm hearing in the room. Um, but then we kind of realize that how is that any different from any of the live gigs that we've done in the, you know, the trash bars around the city? Yeah. Generally speaking, you know, there's a vortex where, you know, you have the monitor jammed in your face and you can hear the lead guitar really well and you can hear this and that. But then when you get out there, you know, they're like, oh, we couldn't hear half of what you were hearing. So um, there's some sort of comfort in it being basically the same. It's just on a different level. The game's always the same. It's just on another level. And this has been the, the, the fun of this year is navigating the digital world. Yeah. Um, Really, in a big way, you know. I uh, I know we're just kind of going to jump into things. I've got some stuff written down mm-hmm. uh, about you know introducing you and uh, talking about the show. But let's just kind of jump right into that. You know, yeah, sure. I noticed on your online profile, mm-hmm. you're really pushing sort of uh, your digital presence a little bit more, mm-hmm. and uh, I I think it's cool. I, a lot of the stuff I've seen you do is pretty creative. I think you're a very creative guy, Thank you. and I think. Um, I think it's working for you, but talk about that because you are a live performer and I've seen you play live. I think it's just a great vibe and this is kind of a, a new thing. Now, hopefully we kind of go back to that, mm-hmm. but this is going to like that. People. It would be nice. <laughs> it would yeah. be nice to do the thing that I've dedicated my life to right. um, and it not actually be um, against the law to do it. <laughs> um, 
it's um it's been it's been really weird um i mean especially the type of music that i play which is folk rock americana when i'm with the band and then singer songwriter and the kind of folk element it is an in-person type of art i mean part of that is the experience of being able to play to other people that's the whole tradition of it and i mean and, and the style of music in in both with the band and when i'm by myself is a bit of a you know kind of a nostalgia trip in a way which you know there's a lot of artists thrive online and they you know thrive on tiktok and stuff like that and the type of music that i do doesn't always necessarily translate to those mediums so it's been kind of I've, I've always been you know tr part of the the game now is social media i mean that's you know you have to be a jack of all trades you have to be your your own um uh, uh promoter you have to be your own manager you have to be your own everything at this point but um and I'd never really kind of dove full force into the social media aspect of it because I'm, you know, I play guitar, <laughs> you know, I, 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 it's, it's not my, I can, you know, I can, I am, I pride myself in being able to make stuff, but, um, you know, the stuff that I like to make is the art that I'm going to be performing for you live. Um, and this has kind of been, you know, you're just getting hurled into it. It's, you know, you're, you know, the, the main way that I did my thing is gone. <laughs> So it's just finding new outlets for it. And um, the first one that I did was as an artist. Her name is Kat Minogue, and she does a, an event called Live Music Mondays mm -hmm. um, that um, went on in the village. Um, and I was actually scheduled um, on the the first uh, the first um, when 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 everything was basically shut down. That was the day that I was supposed to be playing at her Monday night event. Um, and the following week, she, you know, she just sent me a text message and said like hey we're going to try this thing online do you want to try it and i had like forgotten that i played guitar at that point because everyone is just freaking the hell out <laughs> and i'm like oh right that thing and it, it really helped keep me sane because part of the reason why artists do stuff isn't you know isn't always for fun it's because we can't do anything else <laughs> and we have to do it or we go crazy um and part of you know, working out songs and new material is being able to play it in front of people. You can gauge their response, if they laugh, if they, you know, depending on how engaged they are, um, is, is how I decide what I'm going to record next, what I'm going to bring to the band. A lot of how I worked out my full band material is by playing it solo acoustic for people in smaller venues. And, um, it, it it's it was you know as as soon as I started doing that I remembered you know like oh right this is a way to connect with people but again it's weird because you don't see them right They're not there you don't hear it um so it is very kind of disjointed and it feels funny and it's taken a while to get my sea legs in terms of being able to just play for a piece of whatever this is made out of <laughs> metal and plastic and um and kind of try to feel that you know and and I I myself am not you know I'm not I'm not the most, you know, like I don't sing and dance. I'm not the most, you know, like in terms of, you know, sort of a, there are other performers who are more kind of geared in than I am, but it is crucial and it is, it is so important to feel the audience there and to be connected with them. Even if you're not, you know, the kind of performer, like I saw, um, one of my my main idol is Bob Dylan, but another one is um, uh, Lee Von Helm, who played in the band. He was the drummer for the band, um, the band, not just the, the band. And um, and he um, he actually left <laughs> he left Dylan when 
uh, when he was getting booed after he started going electric because he just couldn't handle the negative back and forth between the crowd. And I've seen Dylan every time he's come to New York City since I turned 18. And then, I mean, he's clearly, you know, he's an incredible performer and he's geared in, but, you know, he doesn't interact with the audience. He's shy. It's not, it's whatever the word is for the, for the, the being that Dylan has become. Um, but I've seen Lee, but I, I saw Lee Von Helm quite a few times before he passed away as well. And, um, it was amazing seeing kind of the difference in how involved Lee Von Helm was with the audience. And, uh, one of the times I saw him was right, uh, it was right before he passed away. And, um, he had throat cancer and one of the throat, po- uh, one of the throat polyps came back and he had, had surgery and he could sing maybe one or two songs. And, um, when he got through the second one, he started coughing and he lost it. And, um, so instead of, singing continuing the song he stopped what he was doing and he started kind of dancing on stage and it was hilarious and it was great because he was just living for that back and forth for that eye contact so it was it's fascinating i always love kind of looking at them both performers dylan who's been touring consistently since 1988 i mean they had he's been he's been he he does like something like 150 shows a year absolutely insane um who's clearly invested in that audience connection but there's a sort of a different there's 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 a different feel to it and now and you know you talked about this earlier you're um really the the history of the art of, of folk music right is really intertwined with being with an audience so you want to talk yeah. a little bit about that and and what you know about the history of, of uh, folk music clearly that's your your genre mm-hmm. and um you know the other thing i would say though is you know, Dylan definitely made a lot of money by, and and was famous by recording his his yeah. you know his material and mm-hmm. and putting it out there. So that, that's also a big part of it too, oh. in that sense, at least to get it out to to audiences. So as long as we can record rock and oh, roll, yeah. people have yeah. been recording it in in some form, and, and you know, oh, and yeah. playing it live as well. Yes, yes, yes. I mean. There are different kind of in the studio experiences. I mean, if you compare, I mean, a lot of I'd say. It's interesting. Uh, around the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's, that was one of the first times that you have an album that can't really be replicated live. I mean, there was that whole thing. There's a there's a famous story when the manager producer said, like, how are you going to do this when you have to go on tour? And they're like, we just won't. <laughs> and then they just made the album and it was incredible. Um and I know a lot of kind of a lot of a lot of modern artists use a lot of like a lot of electronica stuff in their stuff stuff that doesn't necessarily translate into real instruments live. And I mean, a lot of the I mean, the stuff that I do in the studio is is kind of live in the sense that you know we're all playing together, and then you know we'll rip some tracks out and put some stuff on top of it. But it's a different. It's it, it is a form that does long to be live. And the recordings also long to have that feeling of being live. They want to feel authentic. And, and, and part of, I mean, the folk, the folk tradition is an oral tradition. And I, technically speaking, even a classical song can be a piece of folk music. If you could sit down and play a piece of Bach for me and I go, oh yeah, and I can play it too. Then like you've, you've taught it to me using the folk tradition. And I mean, that's, it's oral, it's word of mouth, and it's from people sitting down together playing music. And it's weird that we don't have that right now. Um, but um, I, I remember there was um, actually back to Dylan. I was on some Dylan forum on Facebook and someone posted, you know, do you think he'll ever play again? Um, 
And uh, some people were commenting and kind of trying to clarify, like, do you mean, do you think live music is gone or do you mean Dylan will ever play again? And I chimed in and I said, you know, like, well, Dylan's going to play until he's gone. <laughs> like, that's as soon as he can get back out on the road. I'm sure he will. But as far as live music goes, we've had plagues. As, this is not the, this, this is just our first plague. Yeah. I mean, my, my, um, my great aunt and my grandfather on my dad's side um, lived through the last one. I mean, it's 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 happened before, and it'll happen again. This is just ours. It's the first one in our lifetime. In our is it informing your yeah. art at all? Do you think it's uh, influencing the art in any way? Are there, there going to be a lot of um, stories to tell about this? And is is that going to be part of um, maybe the brighter side of all of this? I think I think so. It's in tough a, time, you know, and, and tough yeah, time sometimes yeah. creates good art and good music. It, it's it's interesting. I was one of the. I was talking to a lot of people about kind of their creative output during this. And I was one of the folks that like, I would sit down at the computer and I'd try to write some lyrics and I'd, you know, this is in March when everything was starting and I'd hear an ambulance go by and my brain would just get sucked out and go with, you know, that my, my ability to concentrate was completely yanked out um, because I didn't feel grounded. And, and you know, some people need that to be able to create and other people I know were just like, Oh yeah, well I'm stuck at home. I'm just, you know, nailing them out left and right. Um, but I do think that from this time, I mean, songs are based in emotion, um, that there will be a lot of, I think, I, I think that there will be a lot of art that comes out of this time. Um, and, uh, I mean, I'm really, uh, I'm hopeful I have my fingers crossed that we will have our own roaring 20s, <laughs> that we will kind of exit this and there'll be a kind of renaissance of live culture. Because even, even beforehand, I mean, I, you know, I'd, I'd often say, you know, if I didn't have to go to the show, I wouldn't have gone either, you know, be staying home, watching Netflix, being lazy. It's very compelling. I mean, we have, we have everything right here. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, so I completely understand being, you know, sucked into things and not, you know, wanting to go out. But I feel like, you know, now that we've been now, now, now that we've been stuck here, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a, a, a new sort of call um within all of us to go to the local bar go to the theater and and see some real traditional acts yeah so so talk to me about what what drew you to folk music you know uh for the people looking you know they, they can see you the way the way you're dressed certainly in a folk style but if you're listening at home you know you've got a you've got a really cool hat on always have cool hats you've always got a great style you remind me a lot of my dad you know i have and you played you played at his. Um, you played at one of the runs we did mm, mm, uh, for my fun. dad, and it's funny fun. the um, the silhouette that we had designed on the shirt is him with. He, you've got long hair. My father had long hair. He had a hat just like that. He had, he was a, a creative guy. He actually made his own hats. He made a lot of his own. Oh, stuff. That's really cool. And uh, I, at the time, I told you it was very fitting because my father loved folk music. He, uh, you know, he was a product of the uh, of the '60s. He had been to Woodstock, and uh, he also liked bluegrass. So, you know, folk music also in that right. in that direction as well. He was a big fan of Doc Watson, and just kind of playing a lot of bluegrass around the house, mm -hmm. which was really cool. And 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 um, you know, his interest in folk music sort of took him down that path. But also, oddly enough, he was in the um, 101st Airborne, and um, the Air Assault School, which is uh, which is their sort of boot camp, is in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And um, when he was down there, he just 
kind of hanging out with some good old boys, I guess, and kind of mm-hmm. fell into it as well. So that kind of tied him to that. But uh, it was a lot of folk music and a lot of cool stuff in my house here in Bay Ridge, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and um, my best friends down the hall were Puerto Rican. You know, you've got like salsa, you've got music down mm-hmm. here. You know, we, we, you had the, the sounds of the mosque up on 69th Street. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this cool, eclectic mix of, uh, of music. But to be honest... You, you heard a lot of rock and roll, you heard a lot of hip hop, or even the people, my other friends, parents who listened to rock and roll wasn't necessarily folk rock and roll. Um, so tell us how you, you, you came you came into that. Um, let's see, where do I start? I was and Bay Ridge, did Bay Ridge play any part in that? Or was there any kind of scene? Is there a folk scene in um, Bay Ridge? Well, I would say this, which is, I mean, my introduction to folk music um, growing up, um, when I was really little, um, which I don't, I have no uh, actual mental rec- uh, um, uh, recollection of this. Um, but the only thing that would make me fall asleep when I was a baby was my dad would put Bob Dylan on, and it was a couple. It was a tra- the um, uh, Traveling Wilburys album and a couple of other stuff that had just come out, and that was the only thing, the only thing that would make me concentrate enough to fall asleep. Um, and um, I mean, the thing about I mean, folk music is that uh, it's really narrative based. It's telling a story. And that's what I love in songs in particular. I mean, like, uh, I appreciate songs that don't have any words or lyrics. It's just not my cup of tea. The thing that I really love is I pride myself in being a storyteller at, at the, at the root of it. That's our job is we're telling a story and it could be, you know, a very direct story. I mean, if you think about a lot of early folk music and also it translates into rock and roll any style music, I'm telling you a story. I mean, one of my favorite songs, it's, um, it's called Love Henry. It's an old folk song and narrative is super clear. It's about a woman. She has a scorned lover. She kills him. She throws his body in a well and then she goes crazy. It's just, and then it's, it's very matter of fact and it's on the money and it has a, it's, I, I, really like it because if you think about a lot of like even like early greek myths and stuff like this very clear physical retribution and this one's like a mental retribution she's sitting there and she becomes convinced that her parrot's going to tell people that she committed the crime and she's trying to coax it to come out of its cage so she can kill it too um and that's a story i want to interrupt one thing i don't know if you can hear or the audience can hear i've been Mm -hmm. trying to mute my microphone because one of the sounds we have in Bay Ridge a lot, obviously, with this, there's garbage trucks. Yeah. We have these cars zooming by, you know. Oh, you get those, Boulevard, too. Sixth Avenue, Fifth Avenue, Fourth Avenue, so. Ever since the <laughs> pandemic started, every night at 1030 on the dot, a motorcycle goes by top volume. The whole house shakes. And that's how right. we know it's 1030 at night. That's, that's how really I know is. now. It's insane. It, it's, really got a, it's a definitely new thing where they, they mess with the uh, the catalytic converter and yeah. create these crazy explosive sounds. And it's like, I guess, a cool thing that that is like some kids have picked up. Like, this is the yeah. Fast and the Furious or something. I don't know. They're all going to be deaf in like eight oh, minutes. It's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. And they're racing, too. You know, aside from the danger. You know, it's tell I'm getting older, but <laughs> no, I mean, I, it also drives me nuts too. I mean, it, it's, I mean, uh, I mean, part of it is 
as someone who plays music, mm-hmm. these are incredibly important. Um, yeah. I, I did one show and I remember I now play with them ear attenuators, which mm-hmm. are basically set up so they can let in the sound, but also block a lot of the kind of negative stuff that'll blow out my eardrums. Mm-hmm. And I did one show at the living room, which is a venue in Manhattan that's now closed. One of the, one of the many that we lost. And, um, the stage is really it, – it's a nice wide stage, but it's very narrow. And as the front person, I was right in front of the drums. And every time I was just <laughs> – I remember getting home and sitting on the couch and just, listen, just listening to that whoosh, whoosh, whoosh in my ears. And I'm like, okay, something's got to change because this is all going to be gone <laughs> in a couple of years if I don't do something. Um, but um, I even use them on the train. Um, not that I've – So what is um... – Mm-hmm. What is uh what is your favorite or, or you know most enjoyable experience about playing live and and what do you, what do you miss the most right now? Um well again it's being able to actually connect with people. I mean part of the great thing about this type of art is that it is a type of art where you can get that immediate response. I mean when you and you think about I mean I I feel like all forms of art are connected and even a painting, a photograph, a story, a poem, it's, it's, it's about your relationship with that piece. Um, and what better way to actually see how it goes if you're actually right there. <laughs> um, and, uh, I mean, I, I never really thought that I was going to play music. I love to write. Um, but, uh, I almost feel like, I I say a lot playing a, singing a song is almost like cheating when it comes to poetry. Cause it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. If your voice cracks, if you put your emotion here, you can you can double talk, you can back talk, just depending on how on how you say any given word. And that's if you if if you pick an artist like let's take Neil Young for example, like if you actually read some of the lyrics of his songs, like Big Bird Flying Across the Sky, like it doesn't necessarily hit you, but when you listen to him sing it, it can just go right through your soul. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's you have a level of control and also a level of very immediate reinterpretation, um, which I don't think is um, relative to just um, uh, just to singers. Um, I, I think that all artists, in some way, kind of work on themes and ideas. They do covers of their own material. Um, if you look at Edvard Munch's Scream, I mean, he did a series of those. You can see a version of him on the boardwalk. You can see other, you know, different colorings and versions. Artists have a tendency to get an idea and they work on it and they work on it and they perfect it and then they hit it and then they might move on to something else or come back to it or reinterpret it in a way. I mean, I mean, uh, Dylan is one of the reasons why I love Dylan is that it's such a great example because we don't usually have artists, especially from the 60s, who have lasted this long and are still creating. And you can hear versions of Dylan doing songs that he wrote in the 60s now and how he's looking at it as someone who's lived through it all. And even just as, you know, as a performer, like songs that I've written in, you know, a couple of years ago mean something different to me now. And I get to when I play them, you know, either through the act of rewriting them or reinterpretation, I can figure out a way to make them relevant to me now. Just like, you know, if I was redoing a painting or something I painted before, as as you age your life experience, everything means something different to you. And, yeah. um, you know, it's like. It's interesting because what we're doing here is we're doing a podcast, so we're recording this for the purpose of, you know, other people listening to this conversation later on, which is also kind of cool because, mm-hmm. you know, I think one of the things that, that that's so fascinating about this kind of podcast movement mm-hmm. is people just love hearing other conversations or hearing what other people mm-hmm. have to say. 
Um, but there is something to be said about when you speak publicly or do other things that we're now doing, mm-hmm. if not recorded, you know, with, with this kind of medium of technology in between where we can't get feedback and whether mm-hmm. it's a, some of the mannerisms you don't pick up in a personal conversation. Yeah. You know, yeah, business meetings now we're on Zoom or I'm, I'm actually taking some online classes oh, cool. and there is something to being in a, in, in a classroom setting where you really can pick up. And like yeah. you said, where it's the artist or the professor or someone that's feeding off of the response yeah. live as it happens yeah. in a different way that you lose kind of online. There's a sort of sort of cosmic subtlety of it all that's lost in this because, I mean, we are... We are social creatures, even if you define yourself as someone who's, you know, shy or antisocial or doesn't like, you know, doesn't like to be out for this long or this and that. Like you do. We we, we need it. It's what we are. Like we are all beholden to our, you know, our core, our DNA. We have to, you know, we we do long to be around people. And that's why, I mean, as again, like as a a performer, it's it's weird to not be able to to do that. It, it, It definitely changes. You have to rely you have to rely more on your kind of internal, your internal clock <laughs> sort of way, you know, you're, and I think it's going to create some really interesting art because I mean, I, um, there's, um, there's an artist that, um, uh, that I'm really crazy about. His name is Andre Cortez, who I have a personal connection with because my father knew him and worked for him and now manages, uh, manages, um, um, uh, his estate, and um, there was a he was really famous in, when he was in Paris in the twenties, and then he came to New York, um, and kind of fell into um uh, seclusion. And when that period when he was in Paris, he he had all the you know uh, Parisian cafes, and he'd have artists to work off and kind of bounce ideas. So there was a kind of a uh, community for him to thrive in. And when he got to New York, he was isolated kind of without a common tongue and without the same kind of communal atmosphere. It just doesn't exist in New York. I mean, like, I do think artists kind of team up and bond. I've always been impressed and happy when I've seen, you know, kind of the musical uh, community in New York and how nice everyone really is. No one's rooting for you to fail. <laughs> I mean, the audience isn't, the artists around you aren't. Um, but it definitely isn't the same as like, you know, the golden age of Paris. And his work became deeply introspective and the photographs began playing off each other because he didn't have that audience to connect with. He didn't have the artists and the people to be able to showcase his own work. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're kind of in that point a little bit because eventually, you know, the art has to start, if the art can't talk to you, it's going to start talking to itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, no, that does. And, um, you know, what, one thing I want to ask too is, um, you know, tell me about your band and, and tell me how you guys got started and how that kind of came to be. Um, so let's see. Um, I mean, I started playing, um, I started playing solo acoustic shows, um, right around the tail end of when I was in college. Um, I, um, had originally uh, wanted to play in a band um, because I had no interest in being the front person. I'm like, I'm weird. I'm strange. I make strange noises. I got this face. It's <laughs> it does. It does. It does um, uh, what it does. And um, so um, I was interested in I mean, my, my main thing was I wanted to write songs. I like writing stories. I like telling stories. Um, I, I like to build off of 
kind of the folk tradition and telling a straight story or using sort of the, you know, 60s revival of it kind of, if you think about it in terms of paintings, you know, if you have an impression, you know, an impressionistic painting versus a, you know, kind of a very kind of literal straightforward painting, both of them, they have different applications and they're all part of the same thing. Um, and, um, but I, uh, I tried to team up with some people and I just couldn't get them to book shows with me. And I was just like, all right, God damn it. I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> so I went out and I started doing it. And, um, you know, slowly started assembling people. I mean, I, I, I am self-taught, so I'm limited to what it is that I can do. And, um, I think the best rule of thumb in anything that you do is surround yourself with people who are better than you and try to keep up with them. Um, so I started, you know, flying a guitarist, a bassist, a piano player, a violin player, started pulling people into the, in, into the orbit. And, um, by uh, 2012, I would say, I'd assembled uh, a general arrangement of what I have now, which is a keyboard player. I had a violin player back then, bass, drums, and lead guitar. And um, and I submitted to something um, at the tail end of 2020, which is something called the NPR Battle of the Burrows at the Green Space, um, which was, I think I submitted on like the second to last day. It was, you know, radio was on, radio was on the room. They were talking about it. Somebody said I should submit. So I did. And, um, and we got picked. And, um, now what did you get picked to do? What is that? It, it was, uh, basically the way that it worked, um, was that you had every borough competing against each other. So you'd have basically like the semifinals. So it's ever, so they had 13 bands from Brooklyn play with a panel of judges and they would vote and the audience would vote. And, um, and then it went to a second tier. We won that and we ended up into the top five and then it became like an online competition, which, you know, we were dwarfed by the social media presence of some of the other bands. So I did not think we were going to, we were going to pull out of that. And lo and behold, we ended up getting the, chance to rep to re uh to represent brooklyn which was a real honor and a whole lot of fun um and we competed in the finals uh we got the basically second prize which is the audience choice award wow. um and from that we got to play at, Bro at um uh, brooklyn academy of music from that which was a whole lot of fun too it was it was a i i'd have to say you know top tier <laughs> venues <laughs> I remember, um, you know, we were about to go out on stage and my piano player said, like, it's going to be real hard to do the dive bars next week. And I'm like, oh, we had a green room and everything. It was great. Um, and then we teamed up with the band that was from Manhattan um, and the band that won the won the finals. And uh, and we played the uh, the uh, the Mercury Lounge, which was um, which was a really great time. And that was sort of what started us on being able to book larger shows. And we recorded an album from there and we've been kind of doing it since. Um, there's been, you know, a changing of the guards here and there in terms of players, but part of how I've kind of set it up is that it's Victor V. Gerbo and company. They're my songs. They're, but uh, what I really love is that songs can be reinterpreted. And, and part of the fun of that, and this goes back into how, awful it is not being able to play with people is that like it's not just the audience it's also the people that you play with yeah. and i mean i i really love surrounding myself not just with super talented super talented people but also people that come from different genres and backgrounds of music because i you know i come from my genre i know what i like but that doesn't mean that i that's the only thing that i should do i mean when you listen to songs that have really kind of gone far and broken out of genres like it, it's from that 
like there's a little bit of a different flair, a different style, something that takes it to another place. And I have a guitarist who was a session musician in the eighties. He could really shred, which is, you know, I'm you know, I'm used to this is a C chord, <laughs> you know, and he's tapping over there. And a keyboard player trained and, and really incredible and knows tons and tons of stuff. Um so um it, it it's it's been um it's been unfortunate because a huge part of the process that I have is I'll bring them a song and they will find a way to interpret it and, you know, they'll hear it a certain way and then they'll do it and then it'll bounce back to me and I'll find a way to fit into it. And then I have something that I never could have made on my own. And that's so much fun. And, you know, and, and that's part of the process. And I, let me ask you, just to tie back to something else you talked about, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of the scene, right. And, and the scene of you, whether it's dive bars or cafes, there's a real history um, you know, not with any band, but particularly, I think, with folk music and going mm-hmm. back to New York and playing these small venues. Mm-hmm. You talked about Dylan as being, you know, uh, one of your influences. Mm-hmm. What is that? What was that scene like? Or what should I, I should say? What what particular venues did you really enjoy? What was your, you know, aside from Brooklyn Academy of Music, in terms of like a small cafe or some of these kind of cool little holes in the walls? And, and the second part of that is, um, you know, you had mentioned a little earlier Maybe it was the living room. It's not there anymore. Uh, CBGB is not there. I don't know if you, you've played there. But a lot of these places were gone kind of before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about our whole our whole world changing mm-hmm. with a lot of these types of venues, maybe. Oh, no. I mean, one um, that comes to mind right away is um, uh, is uh, The Bitter End, um, which, um, if I'm not mistaken, opened the same year that Dylan hitchhiked his way to New York City. Um, I think it opened in 61 or 62. Um, and, um, I mean, that venue's had every single act you can possibly, if you can think of them, it, it's, yeah, like from, from, from Bob Dylan to Bruce Springsteen to Taylor Swift to Lady Gaga, um, comedians to George Carlin, they've all played there. And, it's not just that it's this kind of historical mecca. It's also, it's still functioning and it's still taking on new acts because there's like Cafe Wa, for example, it's still there, but it has a private band. It has like a house band. They're not really taking in any new acts to the best of my knowledge. Um, unless that's changed. Well, definitely not doing it right now. Um, but the bitter end, I mean, uh, uh, that was like one of my first reach venues. Like that was like, that was a goal that I set for myself. Like I want to play the bitter end. A ton of people have started there. I want to get there. And when I actually finally got to book it, I, I have this very vivid memory of stepping on stage. And I must have looked nuts because, like, I felt like I didn't have my sea legs. Like, it was, it was a kind of a surreal experience. And I remember hearing the kind of the boards of the stage creak under me. And I remember thinking to myself, like, that's what John Prine, that's what Bob Dylan, that's what, you know, Joan Baez, that's what all these people heard when they stepped up there and now for that one brief moment, like I'm part of that same wow. wheel yeah, that's and so that's, cool. and that's what we all get to experience. And I know there's an artist that I play with a lot. His name is Phil Robinson. He's obsessed with um, uh, Bruce Springsteen. He also said like, it was a very similar experience. He was like, Bruce got to play the stage and now I get to play it too. And it's such a, it's such an invaluable experience to young performers and aspiring performers. And it, and what's nice is that, like, it's it kind of becomes a home to a lot of these acts, and a lot of touring acts come through. Like, it's it's still a thriving space 
for new acts that they'll take a chance on and also a tier of larger upcoming acts as well. And they were at risk of shutting down. And um, we did a um, through that guy I just mentioned, Phil Robinson and his label room full of sky. We did like an online fundraiser for it, which kept it going. Um, and it's still there now. Let me ask you a question. You know, you talk about being in, you know, in the company of the great sort of in the same hall mm-hmm. or the same place. And there's that feeling you get, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I can connect that to other things in my life mm-hmm. as well. I, you know, um, um, you know, I'll give you an example. I, uh, I was an English major at St. Francis College many years ago. Arthur Miller was alive and he was uh, speaking there and I got a chance to talk to him. Um, I had a copy of Death of a Salesman. He signed. He was talking about all these cool stuff. And, um, you know, we, you know, this is a guy who was uh, married to Marilyn Monroe. I was just about and, to say you know, it. You know, and, you know, you're, you know, you're studying history and you're, you're hearing about John F. Kennedy or you're hearing the gossip of John F. Kennedy. Yeah. And you're hearing about all these figures, you know, and I, and I, I got to see Death of a Salesman on Broadway Mm-hmm. A few years earlier than that, I believe it was earlier, mm-hmm. and um, Brian Brian Dennehy played Willie Loman, and it was a great, oh. it was so cool. And anyway, just to be in his presence. Yeah. But I guess my question to you is: Are there any are there any artists that you've been around or been able to play with, or that you aspire to play with one day, uh, or at least have a conversation with? Um. Well, one that comes to mind, um, which um. I got to open up for Alan Merrill, um, who wrote the song, um, uh, what's it? I love rock and roll, put a dime in the jukebox, babe. Yeah. Great guy. Unfortunately, he was one of the, one of the first people that passed away in the COVID wave in, um, in March, March or April. Um, and, um, I mean, I, and when you're, you know, kind of around, you know, even just, you know, even just, you know, seeing an act that you see in live or, you know, or in, or in your experience, like you're kind of in the same, you're all of a sudden in that brief moment in the sphere for you, it was the, the sphere of Marilyn Monroe and Kennedy. I mean, like, yeah. holy cow. I, I mean, you know, it's, I don't want to get graphic or sound weird, but I was yeah. like, he, I shook his hand. Like this hand touched Marilyn Monroe. I'm sure. I don't know. I mean that in a very appropriate way. No, like, no, no. I and know. Then Marilyn you're... Monroe touched Kennedy uh, allegedly. So, yeah. you know, so <laughs> no, I, mean, I was shaking Kennedy's hand through time. No, that's what I was just about to say is that it, even though, uh, yes, there's kind of a, double entendre in that one but in a way i mean like you're absolutely right in that like part of being artists being creative or even just being connected and appreciating a piece of artwork Mm -hmm. you know again you can look at it on your computer but actually going and seeing the painting is a much different experience and in that when you're in that room when you're by that relic when you're all of a sudden you are again part of the wheel you're connected to the art the artist and everyone that they've been connected to right um you know, it's interesting. This conversation has really, really gone into a place where we're really kind of lamenting a lot of the, or, or at least, uh, the, you know, the missing the sort of liveness of the world out mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And uh, even the way we're meeting now, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, we might have, we might have done this in the living room, but yeah. um, it's interesting. It's, it's definitely, and it's where this conversation has kind of gone, just talking about art and life as changing in many ways. And, and really not just your, your music, which is, um, mm-hmm which uh, obviously feeds off of being around people, but everything else is so much connected to, uh, you know, being around people that, that has taken a pause. And I think yeah. maybe in some ways it changes a lot of things and probably changes the art form. And Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a, it's interesting. 
there's a saying that um it's a saying that Andre Cortez had, which was um the the role of an artist is to be a mirror and a sponge to soak up the world around you and to show it to someone in a way where they can see themselves back in it. Mm-hmm. Um and um it's kind of hard to do those things when you're not around people. Um so I mean there is a sort of disjointedness to it all. Um but I mean, this too shall pass. I mean, yeah. it sucks right now. It has sucked. It's been a crappy year, and yeah. you know, it's funny is that I, I was um, I was going through my phone, and I I found you know pictures from uh, New Year's Eve with my girlfriend, and she had been saying to me like, I think this is going to be a really good year, twenty twenty. That's going to be great. And like, little did we know, right. um, you know. You know, I, I, I will say though that um, mm-hmm. music and art. reflect culture and society and Mm -hmm. and, um society is really changing in so many ways you know i think um like i said whether it's the way we go to school the way we do business i think we're going to go back i you know i hope we go back i'm sure we will but i think we're going to go back in different ways you know i think what technology has allowed us to do is now not only work remotely you know, and, and uh, there are people that are saying, hey, if I could work in Midtown and I can do that at home in my apartment in, in Brooklyn or Queens or yeah. Manhattan, I could probably do that in the mountains. I could I could do. Yeah. So I think it's going to change a lot. And then, you know, what's weird is I think the culture and the art will follow that in some weird way. So we're 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 definitely changing as a society mm-hmm. and um in all kinds of ways and 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 the way we do business, the way we communicate, the way we learn, mm-hmm. the way we interact and um I think it'll probably it affect music and art. Oh and yeah. I mean I mean even just uh, I was chatting with chatting with some of the people that I work with and um we were having a meeting through Zoom and he said, like, you know, even 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 when this is over, you know, we used to have to actually, like, you know, go somewhere to meet and talk about this. We're just going to have this on Zoom now. And I'm like, oh, well, I miss going out. Right. right. <laughs> um, I mean, um, and I feel like that right there. I mean, like, yes, I mean, uh, the world is going to be different for some foreseeable future. And we will be touched by it, even just looking at, like, you know, the aftermath of 9-11, like how it changed life and how it changed things like things that never went back to the way that they were before. I mean, the different security measures and stuff like that. And like this, there's going to be a whole ton of things that are just, you know, I think public health and stuff like this is going to be on our minds, just like, you know, know, prior to 9-11, you never really thought about, at least personally, I never thought about that kind of danger. I think think it was you who told me that when we, when I was talking about, we, we just were talking mm-hmm. briefly a while ago, and you had said, "Well, I'm getting online now. I'm I'm kind of being forced yeah. to do this, you know." And it's interesting is yeah. that I'm being forced to use technology. You were just kind of helping me actually yeah. with some of the sound, <laughs> but um, you know, using Zoom mm-hmm. um, for for my classes, doing things for work, uh, other other organizations that I'm a part of that I that I that I zoom into. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really is forcing us to co- kind of get over a technological hump in some ways. Yeah. So well, I think we come out of this. I hope with a, a de- definitely a more blended world. But mm-hmm. maybe you know, look, there's a good part too of putting your your artwork out there, whether it's this podcast mm-hmm. where people can listen to it in a larger audience, or mm-hmm. doing things that that we might have resisted. Because we were in a comfortable place, and this pushes us in a little bit. I mean, I think that um, 
I mean, I, I think what's kind of interesting is that it, it, I have a couple of thoughts, and they're all going to kind of come out of my head like the Three Stooges and get stuck in the doorway. Um, that um, the it's comforting in a way. Again, when I was talking about before about how like you know it's the same game on a different level that like you know we've always had problems on stage in terms of busted equipment and something going wrong and the amp bursts into flame or it turns into a you know transistor radio or whatever. Um, and now we're just dealing with the same thing, but on the computer, but also that like it's leveled the playing field because we're all in the same boat. Cause uh, I forget the name of the, whatever it was, it was a telethon and, um, they had all these famous acts come on and play music. And one of them was Paul McCartney, yeah. actual Beatle. And he was experiencing the same kind of zoom problems when it comes to playing music that I was. And like this, it was clearly his iPhone camera and he was just playing at his Mellotron or it was, it was some sort of organy type thing. And I was, it was, there was something very comforting and like, yep, you know, we got the, where we are working with the same, I mean, obviously not the same brain, <laughs> but working with the same actual equipment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there was something very, don't think for a second I was putting myself on that same, on that same level, but it was something very comforting in watching all of these really great acts come up and realizing that they all were completely clueless when it came to like how to work with this stuff as we were. Um, and also, I felt like it's given um, a, it's given us a lot of permission as artists to kind of throw stuff out there. Because bef prior to this, you know, I'm kind of neurotic. I like to make sure that the art's exactly the way that I want it. And before I put it out as a finished product. So I would always, for every Instagram post, for every, you know, song that I put out online, like I wanted it to be a studio recording. I really wanted it to be polished and I wanted it to be happy with it. Because if it's online, it exists forever. Um, but when this started, I'm like, well, I have no way to, you know, I have this microphone, I have some other stuff. I uh, like, you know, like I don't have a, I don't have a home studio built in, you know, it's one of those, one of those many things that I should have done prior to this starting. Well, no. Um, and, um, and it made me realize that like, an, uh, you start seeing all of these artists come out because we all need that connection and need to try our work out and need to keep doing it. And so it's kind of given us all permission to kind of just toss it out there you know like let's let's see what happens and that's also kind of what's interesting is an element of the tiktok phenomena um which you know i i joined it because that's where everybody's going and I, I, even though like i don't like my knowledge kind of stops at instagram like i had a great handle on facebook before they changed the format you know instagram i got twitter i i don't understand um, and anytime I need to meet a new format, all of a sudden I become 80 for some reason and the computer bursts into flame. Um, but, you know, again, just like part of the experience right now is, is as an artist, you know, you have to be present on every platform. You got to figure it out. You just got to go. And um, the first one that I did, like I spent so much time, you know, I recorded it with a real camera. I did one of my songs or I did a cover or something. I can't remember. It was so long ago. And um and uh, and my girlfriend kept telling me, like, don't do that. TikTok's not about polished product. It's about just the camera. You don't need a real microphone. You don't need any of that stuff. It's about kind of an immediate, intimate capture. And it kind of is. When yeah, you think, yeah. even, even the goofy, even the kind of the goofy videos. And if you look, like, unless you're wildly famous and it's an ad or something like that, like the stuff that goes really well isn't that polished stuff. It's that kind of raw, either humor or whatever kind of emotion that someone's conveying to you. And it's, and I feel like it is kind of an example of what, what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. um, 
And yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of artists tossing stuff out. And again, it gave me permission to also toss out ideas and stuff. So it's, it's allowed me to feel a lot more free on the internet. You know, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned TikTok. I just set up a TikTok like yesterday. <laughs> I finally gave in. We'll you follow know, each and, other. And so, so, you know, that's like, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's supposed to be spying on you. you know, it's, owned by, it's owned by the communists. And I, and I was like, yeah, I know, but I got to communicate. <laughs> Is the thing. It's like my, you know, uh, and, and my big thing is I really do believe that um, whether it's uh, the communist government in China, whether it's uh, corporations in the United States, Twitter, Facebook, I am very reluctant to give up some of my privacy. And I, I think that's one of the things that happens is we kind of give up our privacy yes. to these social media companies and put our whole lives out there, yes. you know, for everyone, you know, and I have these a, companies to sort of buy and sell our, our data or our personal yeah. information. That is a little scary. The, the, what the saying goes, I think if you aren't paying for a product, you are the product. And yeah. I mean, I have a, 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 a friend that I work with. Um, I, I, I write on an internet blog with him and he's very anti, you know, he doesn't, doesn't have any of the formats that have any kind of tracking and it skeeves me out too. It's creepy. But at the same time, like part of my job as a performer is to be accessible on these platforms. And there's that rule of like eight seconds where if you see me at a show and you don't know me and you're like, oh, I'm going to Google Victor. If you can't find me in that eight seconds, you're going to get bored and do something else. Yeah, that's and a good point. So, so there's no like we're, there's there's a sort of I'm not afforded the luxury to be yeah. you know, the kind of to kind of. I, know, I, I just want, I agree. And, and that's why I, I joke with Christina. I said, look, I've got to, I want to communicate with people now, you know, I'm involved in politics. And, um, so my interest is, is, is different than, than an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I want to communicate with like-minded people that want to communicate with me. I want to get my message out there. I want to hear from other people. Mm-hmm. So it's not only about being there to put something out. It's also, that's where you might be hearing something, Mm. Whether it's an artist or whether it's someone, you know, uh, in politics, you want to you want to be on the media yeah. where people are talking. I resisted Twitter for a while. I still I'm like you. Mm. Um, and the other thing you mentioned, it's it's impo- that your your girlfriend had said mm-hmm. is true. It's that you really have to understand each medium is different. Yes. And the audience, maybe not necessarily the audience is different, but what the medium is trying to capture, whether it's TikTok with kind of these witty little uh, uh, videos or how you have to really uh, come up with a compact message in Twitter within mm-hmm. a certain amount of characters or the Facebook. But the other side of that is they all pres- present a sort of different a different um, perspective of your mm-hmm. message or a, a, a way in which to, to put it out there. And, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes when a little silly and witty video on Twitter doesn't, doesn't catch on because it's not how people are communicating in that, in that medium. And, you know, I, the bad part is that you had mentioned sort of, I think it's like, oh, I got to do this now. I got to do Twitter. I've got to do Instagram. <laughs> but the yeah. bright side, I think, is as we expand through these different platforms, mm-hmm. maybe we're not just stuck in one or, you know, stuck in one way of getting our, you know, sort of communicating. Well, I think, I mean, it, it's, you're right. I, I think, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and, I will say that it's been informative and creatively inspiring kind of seeing what trends and seeing what themes and what, you know, what sounds a sound can trend, which is really fascinating. That that to me is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and I've 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 been exposed to a lot of songs that, and it's funny, many of them like I'm like because again, it's like a minute video, and then I go and listen to the full song, and I'm like, oh man, the best part was that one minute. <laughs> but like, you can listen to the themes that resonate with people from a different demographic, people from a different age bracket, people from all over the world. And one thing that I also think is really fascinating and relevant and somehow cosmically ties back into everything is that good art persists and it survives regardless of the platform. And one thing that I really love is I'm a huge George Carlin fan. I'm still grieving his death. Um, and I think he would be very, I always feel like he'd be needed right now. Um, if we could uh, bring anybody back and just, just put him up and just have him have him talk about what's going on. And I was scrolling through TikTok and videos of him talking about anything from, you know, from climate change to all sorts of has been popping up on my feed. And I see kids going like, who is this guy? This is really like, you know, was this recent? They're like, no, this guy's been dead for years. Mm-hmm. And from a, you know, from a, I love the Ink Spots. Great band. And I keep hearing um, kind of like a remix version of I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. And, you know, I don't think anyone there knows that it's the Ink Spots. I don't think they know the original song. They just hear, you know, the, this this kind of new version that's come up where they've sampled it. But like that song, which is one of their one of their best survived and it's on this platform. Like and it's taking off and it's morphing, which also like kind of TikTok in and of itself is kind of a bit of a folk music experiment. Stay with me. Okay. I actually thought about this and this is not nuts. <laughs> because if the element of, let's say, the folk tradition, and let's take out the word uh, music from it. So, you know, I think about folk art. You do something and then I go, ooh, that's really neat. I'm going to try it. And then I do it, but I give it a funny hat. And then, and then that's my thing. And then someone else takes that. And then it goes on and on and on. And then you have the Mona Lisa years later. That's kind of how it works. And with TikTok, so you have a sound. And what, what's been really fascinating is that, like I've like a sound trends and it's like the sound of somebody getting kicked in the head and going ouch and then there's a sound of like you know i don't know like a goat making a noise and then all of a sudden a couple weeks later like someone's combined those two sounds and then added some bells and whistles the next thing like it keeps morphing and building and building and going and going and going so like meme culture is in sort of a way a folk act wow that's, thinking, really, that's a really cool perspective yeah, on that you think about like the what is it the Bad luck, Brian. Like it just builds and builds and builds, and it started from one thing, just some right. guy named Brian. Um, so I mean, like it, it, it's that kind of folk element is always a is always a part of us. I mean, we yeah. learn from the people around us, and and who knows what the future holds, right? In terms yeah. of what's the next medium or technology that's gone and developed that we haven't even uh, thought of yet. Yeah, now it's going to do something new and interesting. I mean, that's why in a lot of copyright law, they say, like, you know, in perpetuity, in in, in every galaxy and universe that you can possibly imagine. Because, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's I mean, it, it's it's interesting. But again, it kind of goes back to that. It goes back to the to the good art survives, but also like even I firmly believe in that. Like, yes, our, our world has changed. There are many elements that will be around for better or for worse. But just sitting down and listening to someone play guitar, having someone teach you a couple chords and you learn that song and then you go home and play it, there's that's been going on for much longer than us, much longer than and, and is much more important than any of us. Um 
I mean, the act of the act of live performance, the act of live art, you know, the Globe Theater and further and further you, for as far as you go back, it's there. And again, there's been plagues. <laughs> there's been all sorts of things. And live music and live art has has survived much longer. Yeah. <laughs> um, than speaking of live or semi live, I see you've got a guitar there yes. and a microphone. Can can you maybe do something for us. Now it'll be live for me. Sure. But uh, it'll be semi-live, I guess, for everyone else. It's sure. A cool. um, fun fact. Uh, mm -hmm. This is a Gibson L1. Um, it was made in 1917, uh, which was when the last pandemic started. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> um, pandemic. Uh, yeah, this is my pandemic guitar. And uh, interestingly enough... Um, I've found a, it's um it's a it's an arch top which most um most uh, singer songwriters use flat top guitars that are braced differently. Um, this was before Gibson really knew how to make a guitar. It was a God. It, eventually, I used to remember the date, and now that it's late in the night, I don't remember it. Um, but the way that Gibson learned how to make a flat top guitar was they bought a Martin and they ripped the face off and they said, "Ooh, that's how you do it." And then the next thing you know, you have <laughs> you have theirs, um, their take on it. Um, but uh, this has a floating bridge and a jazz trapeze tailpiece. Um, Robert Johnson also played an L1, but he played one that was a little bit younger than this one that had the set pin bridge. That's what kind of drove me to picking up this. Um, and um, it's kind of bright and sharp, and I really like it. Um, and for what it's worth, it's been um, it's been helpful to kind of cut through the demon gods of Zoom because uh, a lot of them get confused when they hear the kind of lower end of acoustic guitars. Um, all right, so uh, I'll do this. This is one of mine. Uh, it's called the Roven Blade, and it goes like this. And uh, if there's something wrong with the sound, if something's too low, you can cut me off, and I'll start again. We can just cut out that dead air. <laughs> okay. <laughs> They call me the Roving Blade Riding silly carols Sitting down in the shade Keeping up with spirits Keeping time with some other drone They all talk about me When I come If you want for the mama I'll stay with you a little while And I can get lost Behind your smile But eventually there's gonna come a time I gotta hit that old asphalt 
playing songs this late at night normally and i feel like i'm back at home normally uh, <laughs> being being up this late and playing songs this late it, it wasn't uh, uncommon but uh it's nice to be back um it's really great thank you um do you want more or do you want